Gospel of Matthew, the 21st chapter. Matthew chapter 21. As we consider this morning again the trees of the Bible, we will encounter three of them in our scripture reading this morning. Then uh, deal with the three that the Lord places before us on this day. Monday, Thursday service, we'll look at the tree as Peter describes it as the cross and uh, the power of that. Next Sunday morning, we will, uh, for our celebration of the resurrection, look at the tree of life that is now before us as God's people. Matthew 21, though, is our text for this morning. Let's hear then God's breathed out word to us today. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethsage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. And they will send them at once, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on, put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you not read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. 
And the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. As far as the reading of God's word this morning, let's again bow in prayer and ask for his blessing upon his word. Our Father in heaven, Lord, may we have the enthusiasm every day for Jesus that is here in the Bible. It may be a true enthusiasm from our hearts that we every day say Hosanna to our Savior. Lord, how awesome that is. And then we read of your power. And we read how your house is a house to praise your name. And Lord, be with Pastor Bob as he preaches this morning. Bless his words unto our hearts. May we grow in the things of your kingdom. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. So we want to look at three trees that are referred to in our passage this morning. First of all, the tree of suffering. Secondly, the tree of victory. And thirdly, the tree of judgment. The tree of suffering, the tree of victory, and the tree of judgment. As we think about the tree of suffering, we are on the road. We are on the road at a specific place in a specific location. Verse 1 tells us of our passage, they drew near to Jerusalem, they came to Bethsage to the Mount of Olives. They're on the road. They're on their way to Jerusalem, but as they're on the way, they stop for a brief moment. And on that brief moment, Jesus commissions two of his disciples to go forward to find the colt and the donkey and to bring them to him as he is about to fulfill the passage that is quoted for us in our text in verse 5. And so he pauses on this walk. He pauses on this road. But he pauses at the Mount of Olives because that's where the road goes by. This is, this is where they're stopping for this moment until the donkeys arrive. And as we think about that pause on the road here, we have to think about this, this mount, this Mount of Olives. Why is it called the Mount of Olives? Because there's olive trees on it. That's the reason why. But there is also a cemetery there. There's been a cemetery on it, we are told, for some 3,000 years, which would place it almost 1,000 years before Jesus came and was born. So for 1,000 years, it had been used as a cemetery as Jesus walks past it. A reminder that it is indeed a place of death, a reminder of the fact that this mountain, this Mount of Olives is also going to be for him 
a place of suffering as well. The trees that grow there, as I mentioned a moment ago, are olive trees. It's rather interesting that as we come to this last week of Jesus' earthly ministry, that an olive tree would make its appearance because they make their appearance throughout Scripture. From the time of Noah sending out the dove and the dove returning with a little olive sprig in its mouth, the fact that we have them mentioned for us in the book of Revelation, chapter 11, verse 4, the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of all the earth. So whether we're in Genesis or whether we're in Revelation and throughout Scripture, these olive trees continue to make an appearance. God continues to make use of this tree to teach, to symbolize, to remind us as well. But for some of you, you might say, well, what is an olive tree? We don't generally see a lot of them. Perhaps children here have, have never even seen one, even in a picture book. An olive tree is a multi-branched evergreen with a very knotty trunk that grows to 20 feet plus. They produce uh, small white and yellow flowers in about the first week of May, which then give way to a fruit, an olive, which is not green when you pick it. Right? Actually, you wait until the fruit matures, and then it becomes black, dark blue, or a very dark green. And that is the fruit that you pick. The Mount of Olives included not only this cemetery, but it included many, many patches of olive trees spread over it. Olives that were grown, olives that were then harvested. Olives that are used not only for consumption for food, but are also used for lamp oil, are used for medicine are used for anointing oil, are used for the sacrificial oil in the temple. Even its wood is used for furniture as well. Takes years for an olive tree to, to actually be, reach the maturity that it needs. And it takes lots of gardening. It takes lots of pruning. It takes lots of shaping. It takes lots of patience for an olive tree to, to reach its full potential. There they are. They're on the road to Jerusalem, and they're stopping at the Mount of Olives. With all of those olive trees, with that cemetery that is located on it as well. But certainly as Jesus pauses, he is indeed the Lord of all the earth. And he is the one who knows. And he knows that he's coming back to this area. He's going to be on that mountain, or at least the foot of that mountain. He's going to be in a, a garden in just a few days. Not weeks, not months, not years, but in just a few days, this celebration that they're about to go through is 
going to give way to a night of prayer. It's going to give way to an evening of suffering. See, the word Gethsemane, because that's the name of the garden, means olive press. It is likely, then, that in the garden of Gethsemane is located a press for the olives, where you're going to take the right olives that have been produced, you're going to bring them to this somewhat mechanical machine, and through this process, those olives are going to be crushed, but the oil is going to flow. Turn with me forward a few chapters from Matthew chapter 21 to the 26th chapter of Matthew. And let's join our Lord there in that garden and feel the pressing, feel the weight, feel that which is happening to Jesus spiritually, emotionally, physically, as he's in this place of suffering. Verse 36, Matthew 26. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going on a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He came to his disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak again. For the second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. We know from the other gospel accounts that as Jesus prays in this place of suffering, in this place of pressing, he sweats what would appear to be like drops of blood that fall to the ground. This is a place of suffering. It's an olive grove. He's going to die. Not only is it a place of the press, but it's also a cemetery. This is what awaits him. He knows what's coming. He's not unaware. 
but he knows that in his suffering and in his death, the flow of oil will indeed come. The New Testament reminds us over and over of the fact that that oil represents or symbolizes the work of the Holy Spirit. He knows the blessings that are coming, but he is also very keenly aware of the pressing that is going to take place for the oil to flow. Oh, it's not just an aside. Let's never look past that. This isn't just an aside. This isn't, oh yeah, he was sorrowful. He was just pretending to do that to fulfill scripture. No. He speaks. And he speaks, but only the truth. My soul is very sorrowful, even to the point of death. Oh, the great, great love of Jesus. But there is another tree involved in our scripture reading this morning. It's the tree of victory. We hear the shouts of the people. The shouts that we have heard in, in God's word this morning. The shouts that we have heard in our hymns this morning. The shout of, Hosanna! Save now. Hosanna. Please save us. Hosanna. Save. I pray. This is the cry of God's people. It's been the cry of God's people throughout the Old Testament. It is the cry of God's people on this road now. Hosanna. Save us. Son of David, you royal lineage, you king, you who have the authority to rule and to reign. You who are the one who is sent by the Lord. You are the one who is our Messiah. You are the one who is our Christ. You are the one who is our Savior. Oh, we know, do we not, that they do not fully understand, at least all of them, do not fully understand the words that they are saying. They're looking for that political leader. They're looking for that military leader who is going to deliver them from the hands of the Romans. Their save us is not a spiritual saving, but a political saving. Their understanding of son of David is as a political king who's going to rule and reign again and bring glory back to the nation of Israel. Their Christ, their Savior, their Messiah is a political entity. But nonetheless, their words are true. The shouts are there. Why? Because if their mouths were quiet, the very stones would cry out, Jesus tells the religious leaders. Because they are 
truthful words, even though they may not be understood or comprehended. Jesus is the one who saves. And we do need to cry out, our Hosanna, please save me. He is the one who is the royal son of David. He is the one who is the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah. Verse 6. The disciples went and did it. Jesus as directed. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and sat on them. Most of the people spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees. And spread them on the road. Branches from the trees. What were those branches? Well, John chapter 12 verse 13 tells us very clearly. They're palm branches. They're palm branches. That's what are being used. Palm branches that come from these Large trees, stately trees, 40, 50, 60 feet in the air. Branches that extend from them 6 to 12 feet. When I read that, I thought, well, that's kind of interesting because usually the ones we, we buy at the store for Palm Sunday, okay, or we put on display are about yay long, right? Okay, they're They're kind of... Small and insignificant compared to, to what truly is the type of palm branch that grows from the large palm trees. Just imagine that, right? Not, not little palm fronds, but palm branches being waved and being laid upon the road. Covering that roadway as Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Palm branches. Why are they cutting palm branches? Well, one would be they're available. The Greeks and Romans referred to Israel as the land of the palms, they're plentiful. At least they were in Jesus' day. Even the foreigners remark about all the palm trees that are there. So we could say, well, why did they cut them? One, they're available. They're there. They didn't come prepared to do this. They didn't say that morning, hey, son, go out and cut, climb up the tree and cut down some palm branches for us, would you? We're going to take them on our way to Jerusalem and we're going to lay them on the road because Jesus is coming. They know none of that. So they aren't prepared for it, so they have to be that which is available, meaning the road that Jesus is taking was planned by the Lord to be on that road so that as he journeyed, that which is available are these palm branches along the side of the roads so that they can cut them, take them, and lay them on the road. So one we would say, in answer to the question, they're available. Yeah, but why? Why does the Lord desire that there be palm branches? 
I'm going to give you three reasons. One is because palm branches were used as a remembrance. If we turn back to Leviticus chapter 23, and we read about the various feast days of Israel, we read, starting in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 33, the following. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, on the 15th day of this seventh month, and for seven days is the feast of booths to the Lord. Okay, what are they supposed to do on the feast of booths? Well, go with me to verse 39. On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the protest produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. The first day shall be a solemn rest, on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, the branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, and the willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for Seven days in the year. It is a statute throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths. That your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. See, the purpose of a palm branch... And this may be the reason why there were so many actually available, and they're not climbing trees to get them, but they're actually laying alongside of the road, is because of this feast of booths. A feast whereby they remember what? They're remembering that God delivered them out of the land of Egypt. And that God brought them out and that they lived for a period of time in these temporary booths. But that there was coming a day. A day when they would no longer dwell in booths but they would live in homes, in houses, where in the promised land. Those palm branches were a remembrance of God's deliverance. And they still are. They still serve as a remembrance of the fact that God has delivered us. We dwell in a temporary tent. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But that we are going to a home, to a house, to a mansion that is being prepared for us in glory. See how it works? As they lay those palm branches down, there is a remembrance of God's salvation, of God's deliverance. Secondly, there is also prophetic work in this. If we were to turn to 1 Kings chapter 6, 29 through 35, 
can take note of it, read it later. It's the passage that tells us of Solomon building the temple. And in one of the, the, the passage I just cited, he is carving in to the woodwork palm branches. Now why? Well, one, it takes us back to this Feast of Booths. A reminder that in the temple, we are looking for God's salvation. But it's also prophetic, isn't it? It's prophetic that, that in the temple, the sign of God's presence with his people. This is what John begins his gospel with. That with the coming of the Lord Jesus, he comes to tabernacle with us. He comes to dwell with us. He comes to live with us. And we put it together with the oil of the Mount of Olives and we have a picture there of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, of Christ's presence indwelling within us through that Holy Spirit. It's prophetic, those, those palm branches in the temple. As Jesus rides into Jerusalem, there are those palm branches. A reminder of God's deliverance. A reminder of God's presence. But they were also used symbolically as a sign by the people of Israel. They were a symbolic sign of victory. That when victory over one's enemies had been attained and the army is coming back, it was a common practice to take palm branches and to wave them. A sign of victory. Hence, I ask you to turn with me to keep your finger back here at Matthew 21 to go with me to Romans or Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. John is given, it's interesting, John's the one who identified that they had palm branches in their hands. John now, the same writer, writing to us in Revelation of the gathering of God's elect, of the gathering of God's people, writes the following, starting at verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So we're going to sing as our doxology that by the sea of crystal, right? Holy, 
palms of victory. There are the people laying down the palm branches. Oh, the volumes, the volumes that are being spoken. As Jesus pauses on this road at the Mount of Olives and thinks about, reflects on the fact that this will be the place of suffering. I've come to suffer and I will die to bring salvation. Those palm branches, as he rides and those footsteps go over them and there's probably a little crunch and ruffling. Could not escape the fact of, of his awareness of the salvation that God is bringing that day through him. Of that presence of God in him. And of that victory, huh. oh yeah, of that victory, of that resurrection day victory and that triumph, even as we heard our youth choir sing this morning. But there is another tree in our passage, isn't there? It occurs the next day, as they're coming back uh, into Jerusalem on that next day, they they encounter this fig tree. It's our tree of judgment. Our tree of judgment. Since there is no fruit upon the tree, Jesus curses the tree. Has leaves, but no fruit. So Jesus utters these words, the end of verse 19, May no fruit ever come from you again. It's a curse. It's a judgment. It's a condemnation. And we know it's a judgment. We know it's a condemnation because of what follows. And the fig tree withered at once. Imagine, you're standing there. The disciples are probably all gathered around. Jesus walks up to the tree. Hmm, no figs. Cursed. May no fruit ever come from you again. And before their very eyes, the fig tree withers. Oh, I know some of the gospel accounts would have us say, well, it would appear that some of the disciples perhaps heard Jesus say the words and turned around and started walking, and they come back later and find out, oh, it's withered. But Matthew tells us it withered at once. Soon as the words, as soon as the words of the one who is indeed the Lord, as soon as the words of the one who is indeed the sovereign, the one who is indeed the king, the one who has all authority and all power, the one who has been given that power and authority curses the tree. It withers at once. The 
It reminds us of who we're dealing with. See, there there is a way of reading the first first portion here of Matthew chapter 21 in a a very romantic, I don't mean love interest romantic, but in a very kind of flowery way. Oh, he goes by the Mount of Olives. What a beautiful sight that must have been. Oh, what a gorgeous day this was. All these people shouting and these palm branches and these cloaks on the ground. Oh, what a great day this is. And it's easy, perhaps, for us to look past who this is. But the fig tree reminds us. This is the judge of all the earth. That he shall come again. And he is the one who will judge the living and the dead. The one who is pausing at the Mount of Olives. Understanding the suffering and death that is coming that week. That one is the judge of all the earth. The one who is riding this colt into Jerusalem across their cloaks and palm branches is the one who is the judge of all the earth. He is going to judge your soul someday. He is going to judge my soul someday. He is going to judge your life. He is going to judge my life someday. Just as he came to that fig tree and judged it. Because it bore no fruit. So will all those who bear no fruit. Come under his divine judgment. Not just withering. But condemned. For all eternity. So it really raises the question this morning. What do you do with Jesus? What are you doing with Jesus? He is given to us in the word again today. He is presented to us. He is presented to us as the suffering servant. He is presented to us as the victorious king. He is presented to us as the judge of the living and the dead. What are you doing with Jesus? What are you doing with him? Is he your enemy? Is he your foe? Is he your arch nemesis? Are you at war with him? There exists, you see, that possibility. For unless we are converted, we are considered to be the enemies of God. We are the enemies of Christ. So if you're sitting here this morning as one who is unconverted, you have never been born again, then you may think my statement, are you an enemy of Christ, is ludicrous, but it's actually biblical reality. You are Christ's enemy. You are at war with Jesus Christ. 
You're an enemy of God. You're amongst those who are plotting to kill. You're seeking to overthrow. You're seeking to put down. You're seeking to condemn. What do you do with Jesus? Perhaps you're seeking to ignore him. Perhaps you're just kind of seeking to push all of this into a closet and lock the door and not have anything to do with it. You hate it. You hate it. When any pastor, when any radio broadcast, when any podcast, when any book, article, or when I place before you Christ and what are you doing? You just, I just don't want to think about this. I just don't want to deal with this. I just want to put it off. I just want to put it away. I just want to hide it. What are you doing with Jesus? You got war? Trying to push him into a closet? Are you just being tolerant of Jesus? Well, that was really interesting today. The things Pastor Bob had to say about Jesus. Yes, that, that's all very interesting. Yes, yes. Uh, how, how true? Because it's in the Bible, but you're not really coming to terms and to grips with the truth. You're tolerating it. Yes, we'll, we'll let those folks over there have their religion. We'll let those folks over there be the zealots for Christ. But, well, you know, we know a little bit better than that. And we know that, you know, Christianity is just an opium for the people. That's all it is. A little too smart. Know a little too much science. Just a little too knowledgeable and sorry, but the Jesus thing may be good for weak people, but not for people like me. You just tolerate it. What do you do with Jesus? Do you acknowledge him, but not live for him? See, that's part of the problem with the fig tree when it really comes down to it. It's not that the fig tree was an enemy. It's not that the fig tree was trying to get rid of Jesus. The fig tree looks like it should have fruit. It's interesting. Jesus doesn't say, oh, fig tree, I'm going to pray for you that you soon start to produce fruit. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't say to the fig tree, produce fruit. Because he could have done that. It's interesting that when Jesus comes to a fig tree that should have been producing fruit, in other words, it knows its job. It knows what it's supposed to know. But it's not producing the fruit. It's not producing the fruit in keeping with 
its acknowledgement of Jesus Christ. That it suffers the condemnation of Christ. How many there will be, Jesus tells us, who will say on that day, Lord, Lord, and he will say, get away from me, I have nothing to do with you. Why? They know him as Lord, they acknowledge him as Lord. What's the problem? They're not living for him as Lord. There is no fruit. They're willing to confess him as it were as Savior, but not to acknowledge him as the Lord of their life. They want a Savior, they want a Jesus, but they don't want anyone to tell them what to do. They don't want to hear Jesus say, if you don't love me more than your father or mother, you're not worthy of me. Whoa. No, I don't want that. I want him to save me from my sins, but I want to love my mom and dad more than I love Jesus. I owe, I, I owe my mom and dad a whole lot more than I owe Jesus. Bad company ruins good morals. I don't want to give up my friends for Jesus. Oh, no. I don't want to give up my recreations that I'm addicted to for Jesus. I don't want to give up the pornography I'm addicted to for Jesus. I don't want to give up the alcohol that I'm addicted to for Jesus. I don't want to give up my pride that I'm addicted to for Jesus. I don't want to give up my selfishness. I don't want to give up my stubbornness. I want a Savior. But I don't want a Lord. And that, my friends, involves every single decision we make in life. Who are we acknowledging as the Lord? That's the problem with the fig tree. It's not producing fruit in keeping with repentance. What are you doing with Jesus? Are you just playing games with him? Is he just kind of a side action type thing you got going? The main focus, the main point of life is way over here, but Jesus is just kind of a little add-on. There's all sorts of other things that are far more important. May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree wither at once. But if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, that Jesus is Savior and Lord. This great judge, this powerful judge, this eternal judge. 
says to you, See the kingdom that I bestow. Which one are you going to face? It's a great week. It's a great week to be reflecting and thinking about this. Uh, but scripture doesn't say a great week. Scripture says today. Today is the day that God is laying before you again salvation in and through Jesus Christ and Him alone. Come near. Come near. And God's people say, Amen. Let's turn in our hymn books.